air conditioning. But I also enjoyed my wife back leading worship first time in how long? Like four weeks up here in the boot. Couldn't really jump around for when we were singing about being in the river, but, you know, hopefully you held it down for her. So, uh, but it's good to be here. I was actually at a wedding last night at a church called All Nations in Newport News, and it had a very similar, like, ceiling, the sweet wood panel ceiling. And, of course, as we were playing for, like, 15 to 20 minutes uh, before the wedding, because my wife and I, we did some songs, and we were playing music during the, the, the ceremony, I kept just getting lost in the planks, counting the planks, just like looking up because they're so cool to look at. I think they're, they're beautiful. So um, all that to say, last night in this wedding, because I'm always distracted, right now I'm probably thinking about two other things other than what I'm saying. I was just thinking about how excited I was to get here tonight, worship with you guys, share the word that God's given me with you guys. But also, I remembered the fact that these wood ceilings, they keep me on my game because if I was here and somebody was boring and hard to pay attention to, I would just drift up. And I probably know the number of planks up there in the ceiling. Uh, but it's because I'm partially ADD, but also because it's kind of biblical. I forget which song we were just singing. Somewhere in there it said, I lift my eyes. You know, David said, I lift my eyes. Isaiah said, lift your eyes. Daniel said something about lifting his gaze. And then it says multiple times in the Gospels that Jesus looked to the heavens. And it's not because that... God has some physical address somewhere up in the sky, but I believe when we look up, we're just reminded how big everything is. Like I'm on my 32nd lap around the sun, and I, my mind still gets blown by clouds. Just driving home, going through the tunnel and over the bridge. Not when I'm in the tunnel because I can't see him in the tunnel, but on the bridge, the clouds just blow my mind driving home from work. And uh, when you get past our atmosphere into the universe, there's just stuff we don't even really understand at this point. We're still coming to understand. And behind that universe is a God that created it that sometimes we don't fully understand. But this summer, we're digging into some deep qualities of our big God in a series called Big Enough for Both. We're talking about how we can't put an or where God has already put an and. Where we shouldn't put an or where God has already shown he's big enough for both. So we started this series now months ago from this passage in 1 John. It's 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 7 where it says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you that God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's, there's no darkness in light. Wayne knows that right now as his wife was just throwing on shades as the spotlight is shining through that window on him. He's probably breaking a sweat. But there's no darkness in light. As the Amplified Version puts it, God is light. He is holy. His message is truthful. He is perfect in righteousness. And in him there is no darkness at all, no sin, no wickedness, no imperfection. So a basic truth about light is there's no darkness in it. But another basic truth about light is it's complex. There's complexities to light. And life following Christ, as John says in this passage, living in the light, it also has its complexities. Some decisions to be made. And, you know, we actually, I bought this for this series. I had one as a kid. Somewhere in life I lost it. This is a prism, right? It makes rainbows. And finally, Steph just walked into our uh, our big room in the back of our house where the sun shines through and it's setting and there's rainbows everywhere. And she freaked out because I don't know, maybe she never owned one, but I was like, yeah, that's what it does. It's cool because the light goes through it and it refracts twice and different wavelengths bend at different angles. So it creates rainbows. And as a former art major, I can tell you, you put them out on a color wheel and there's complementary colors. And 
those complementary colors are at different uh, spots on the spectrum, opposite ends of the color wheel. But when they come together at full intensity, they create white light. And in the same way with God, God is light, and in him there are often complementary characteristics that together, not separate, show us the fullness of who he is. We can't make these complementary truths contradictory and make some kind of false decision. We can't put an or where God's already put an and and shown he's big enough for both. So that's our current series. Some of you are like, yes, that was a synopsis I've heard before. But we're working, Fred, Jamie, myself. Pastor Fred is the Newport News campus pastor. Pastor Jamie is the Williamsburg campus pastor. One church, three locations. And so we're working on a couple series. We're going to be doing at all three locations in the fall. And we were trying to think creatively about what we could do with it. What are people interested in? What are people listening to? What are people watching? And uh, one thing Jamie brought up is Stranger Things. Anybody watch Stranger Things on Netflix? Right? I haven't watched it yet. Apparently it's a little bit like X-Files meets Goonies with a lot of, like, 80s nostalgia. Like, Winona Ryder is in it. She got big in the 80s. Like, just a lot of 80s sewn in. So, but I was born in 84. So a lot of that doesn't register with me as much. I'm pretty much anything from the 90s is what stirs me up in terms of nostalgia. So uh, MTV Cribs. Anybody remember that show? There was something that would make me nostalgic. It would be all those early MTV shows like, uh, what, Pimp My Ride, Exhibits Lab, (laughs) however it went. MTV Cribs. MTV Cribs was essentially you're touring the homes of the rich and famous. Everything was obnoxiously in slow motion, whether it was the opening of the front door, the jumping on the bed. They always would open their refrigerator, and vitamin water was all the rage then, so everybody had flats and flats of vitamin water. But you're just touring the homes of the rich and famous. So, like, 90s, like uh, Richard Branson, Hulk Hogan, you remember Penny Hardaway, all these different people. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers Ja Rule, uh, the hip-hop artist. Turns out, actually, that uh, the home was in Miami. Turns out he had rented it. And it wasn't actually his, but he just had a bunch of people there. And he got MTV sued because they didn't have permission to film on this person's property. So that was a little, little janky. But uh, my generation, though, you know, we've graduated from, from Cribs. We've gotten more refined. Now we have HGTV, right? Home and Garden TV. Or uh, as it really should be named, Home TV, because when's the last time they hyped a show about gardening? And who would watch it, right? It's just Home TV at this point. But uh, I'm sure, anybody have a favorite show on HGTV? Right, Fixer Upper. Like we talked about man crushes last week and the female equivalent. I'm sure many of you have one on, uh, what's her name? Joanna, see, you know her name. Joanna Gaines, right? Yep, I'm sure many of you do, and you just wouldn't admit it, and you just left me out to dry last week. What other ones? Uh, House Hunters. It's basically like Cribs, just more modest. <laughs> you said poor. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes you realize, though, like, for what you think you get, like, a shack in America, they're, like, in Spain, like, next to these vineyards, and they're like, oh, I can get this ginormous home. And you're like, why are we living here? All right, city life Spain, 2030, we'll be there. All right, like, which is what is, what is going on. But you watch all these shows, whether it's Cribs as a kid, House Hunters as an adult. The danger in watching those shows and binging on those shows is, is there's just the danger of discontentment, where all of a sudden your want list becomes greater than the list of things you're already thankful for. And every once in a while, it's good to just get a reality check that the homes we live in, the cars we drive in, they make us, they put us at one of the higher tiers in terms of wealth in the world. There's a stat, I've said it before, and it's probably no longer accurate, but at 1.8% of the world owned a car. So if you owned a car, many of us have two, right? You're in the top 8%. 
2.2 billion people in the world at one point were living off of $2 a day. Those numbers are crazy, and that shouldn't spark guilt, but it, it should spark a healthy recognition and awareness that we're richly blessed materially. Our day-to-day life is an overflowing material abundance, and God never says that we shouldn't have nice things. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy 8.18 says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to what? Produce wealth. So producing wealth and living in wealth clearly isn't against God's will. How many of you guys remember Spider-Man's line, right? With great power comes great responsibility. In the same way, with, with great blessings, we're responsible with the way we steward it. And God doesn't say his followers shouldn't earn money or possessions, but he has a lot to say about how we use it. And we see it in Jesus' teachings. And in the interpretation of what the Bible says about God's blessings and what we should do with them, you, you can swing wildly different ways. Like, for instance, you could have what you might call Cribs Christianity, right? That God wants to bless you with health and wealth, so you should pray for that, enjoy it, use it, run with it. Or you could have the opposite side of the pendulum of swinging where it's almost like monastic living. Like how many of you guys have seen tiny house hunters, right, where the homes are like the size of a shed and there's like whole families trying to live in there. I'm like, you're crazy. But just the idea that we should strip away most of our possessions, escape to the woods and embrace some monastic living altogether. And, you know, the deeper question behind these different positions is, well, are we called to enjoy God's blessings or to give them away? And you could ask, too, should I practice responsible stewardship or should I practice radical generosity? And when you take the step from talking about houses to talking about money, on one end you have the conservative end, you know, where people fear talking too much about money could contaminate our spirituality. So we try to divorce spirituality from money, which is ironic because Jesus said you can end up serving money instead of God. It's very spiritual. Everything is spiritual. But on the other end, You have, again, what may be called the health and wealth gospel, that there's an in-your-face boldness talking about money. And if you don't talk about money and prosperity, then you probably got a lack of faith in God's will and his ability to bless you. And it's safe to say that Jesus was pretty confident about talking about money. 15% of all of his teachings, when you count the verses, was addressing money. Talk more about money than he did about heaven. He talked more about money than he did about hell. And was it because Jesus was trying to get rich? Clearly not. When people came to follow him, he said, hey, get ready to rough it. I don't have a place to lay my head. And yet 16 of the 38 parables deal with money. When you broaden our blessings to not just treasures and money, but to time and talent also, over half of his parables deal with how do we steward these things he's blessed us with. And I want to look at, take a look tonight at the word steward because I think it goes very far in what we want to talk about tonight. And just the idea of stewardship. Because I know for me, stewardship as a kid or, or growing up, like, it was just how, how well I took care of other people's stuff. Um, I collected a lot of comics as a kid. I owned a lot of comics. I borrowed a lot of comics. Marvel was at its peak comic-wise when I was a kid. And, and I would always, whether I was borrowing from somebody or lending them out, it would always look like this. Had to have the plastic casing with the cardboard backing and the tape on the back, right? Because you don't want this thing getting bent, damaged, because at that point, as a middle schooler, like, comic books were my retirement plan. I was going to draw them, collect the rare ones, and then be out by the time I could, like, grow a real beard. And uh, that was the plan. And then Marvel went bankrupt. But, uh, but stewardship to me as a kid, it was like, how do I take care of this stuff? So in the offices, it's funny, I was talking to Jamie on Thursday about all the different commentaries we have. And we borrow from each other all the time. I'm preaching out of Luke. Let me go get 
uh, Pastor Fred's commentary, Jamie's and mine. And also, though, David and I, David Godwin, the youth pastor in Newport News, we lend each other comic books, graphic novels. Sue me. Uh, I read them. <laughs> so, uh, but he gave me, uh, I think it was like the first three of the Black Panther that had just come out, getting good reviews. And, and he just hands them to me, right? Three of them, just naked. Nothing around them. I'm like, how do you want me to even, like, hold this right now? Like, it's like he handed me something out of an oven without oven mitts or, like, a, gave me a brand newborn baby so I can only use my thumb. Like, how do I even hold this? And then I would get, like, a cold sweat when I'd see it, like, out on the table. I know Steph's going to move that somewhere. and It might get bent, like, and then David will hate me because I, I damaged his comic book. So, David, if you're listening, got to get you some of these. The plastic casing, cardboard casing. But, again... Just the idea for me for the longest time with stewardship is like, how well can I take care of other people's stuff? And if somebody gave me back a comic and it was damaged, or when I got older, I borrowed them a paper book, paperback book and it came back all mangled and just destroyed and disheveled. It's like, you're a bad steward, right? That was my idea of stewardship. But in the Bible, the word for steward, especially in the passage we're going to look at tonight, is oikonomos. Oikonomos, sorry. I did actually look that up. You know, it's funny, there was, this is a rabbit trail, but there was a guy from New Zealand preaching at Wave, I think it was last Sunday, and he said things so wild and crazy. I was like, I just need to say I'm from another country, and then I can say whatever I want. Like, Hosea was Hoshia or something. like, really? And he's just wild and crazy stuff. But the word for servant in the Bible is ekonomos. It's the highest ranking servant of a wealthy landowner. One put in charge of the entire estate in the master's absence. Going deeper than that, it's a representative who reflects the heart and character of the one who put the items in his or her possession. So you don't just hold the item for somebody when you're a steward. You represent them as you hold it in terms of what you do with it. Think of like Mark Mark Twain's book, The Prince and the Pauper. You're taking on that person's identity and how you deal with the things they've put in your possession. You handle what's been placed in your care as as they would based on how you know them and their character. So with that in mind, tonight I want to turn to Luke 12, verses 41 through 48. Luke 12, verses 41 through 48. If you got your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have your Bible, there's Bibles under your pew, or you can swipe there on your phone. But it's Luke 12, verses 41 through 48. And as you turn there, just a preface of the two stories immediately before this. First is the parable of the rich fool. This man who stores up this massive amount of money up in silos, and then he passes away. And it's, Jesus says, and I quote him, it's the futility of a life that, quote, stores things up for himself but is not rich towards God. As you might hear people say, whether in the church or out of the church, you can't take it with you. And then in Luke 12, verses 23, or 22 through 34, as we make our way to the parable we're about to read, there's the passage that in my Bible is called anxiety over possessions, where Jesus says, hey, don't worry about material things. He echoes the same thing in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom. And you know, the worry he's talking about is a lack of faith. He's not saying don't care about your possessions or don't be a good steward of your possessions. He's saying, hey, don't stress them to the point where it robs you of your faith. And then finally we get, hopefully you're there by now, Luke 12, verse 41. Jesus had just told a story about a master returning to his servants, and it says in 41, Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? Speaking of the disciples or the the whole crowd. And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. 
But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten. Again, this idea that he should know his master's will as his steward and act accordingly. And then finally it goes on to say, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Again, that last verse where it says when some, or excuse me, when it says, for everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. I think, again, I was, I was studying this week, and I, that's when I thought of the Spider-Man line, right? With great power comes great responsibility. In the New Living Translation of that verse, it says, when somebody has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. So what makes a faithful steward in Luke 12? What was required of him? If you look at the, the second verse we read, it was whether or not he gave. It was his giving. You know, stewards, especially stewards of God, they're not stingy. <laughs> in my life, I've sometimes, again, I've viewed stewardship wrong, and a lot of times I've viewed this idea of responsible stewardship as being tight-fisted with resources, erring on the side of caution rather than risk because, again, it's not mine to begin with. It's somebody else's that I'm stewarding. But a steward should reflect the heart of the one who's blessed them. And our God is a loving Generous God. Look no further than John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He blesses us with life, and then he makes us his stewards. It's meaning we're called to live generous lives as his stewards. So the question shouldn't be responsible stewardship versus radical generosity, because if you're a responsible steward, you will live a life of radical generosity. If you're a responsible steward of God's things, you will live radically generous. But to just look at the word steward from another angle, how many of you guys have read Lord of the Rings? All right, more hands probably. How many have seen the movies Lord of the Rings, right? came out when I was in college. So I was reading through there, funny, this week as I'm studying stewardship, and in the two towers there are uh, stewards in a kingdom called Gondor, where the king had left to fight, left nowhere behind, and then didn't return. And they didn't know if he died, so they set themselves up as stewards. They didn't sit on the throne. They sat on some black stone chair below the throne. They didn't wear a crown, but they waited. They waited for 25 generations, and finally, as that time passed, so did patience until one of them finally said, how many hundreds of years needs it to make a steward a king if a king returns not? Now, if you've read that trilogy or watched that trilogy, you know the last, the last movie's called what? Return of the king. He comes back. <laughs> we too serve a king who will one day return, no matter how many generations pass. If we don't remember the king who's coming back and the king that will come back, we'll often try to wear the crown ourselves. But Christ the king is coming back, and there will be a judgment where we will be held accountable for our blessings and how we stewarded them. Not just our treasures, but also our time, our talents. In the parable we read, in a similar vein, it says, my master is delaying his coming in verse 45. Sometimes we, we think, you know, God's going to be a while, so I'll live how I'm going to live. Or we forget he's coming at all, and our stewardship takes a nosedive. For this steward in the parable, he begins to not just not distribute the other food, but eat all of it and get drunk off of it himself. 
You know, sometimes our many blessings and the pleasure they give us can also give us this illusion of having it all together, of somehow having pulled ourselves up from our bootstraps, forgetting where our blessings actually come from, forgetting the king who gave them to us and who's coming back and will judge us. You know, the prophet Hosea, or as the guy from New Zealand said, Hoshea, whatever he said, he said to an Israelite nation in exile in Hosea 13, verse 6, that when they had pasture, they became satisfied. They were satisfied and their hearts became proud. Therefore, they forgot about me. They forgot about God. In Deuteronomy 8, we actually read the second half of this, but in 17 through 18, it says, You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You know, it's telling that Jesus' parable that we just read in Luke 12 comes after he gives this warning at the beginning of Luke 12 to be watchful, to be mindful, because Jesus is going to come back. He's creator and king, and we're just stewards. But we see this tension in these two Old Testament verses, the two on the screen, this tension between remembering and forgetting the source of our possessions and the crippling power of prideful entitlement. You know, when I say entitlement, I'm just speaking of this idea that I've earned it, I deserve it, it's owed to me, and just this, that's the idea of entitlement I'm speaking of, this idea where we can begin to live tight-fisted because we think it's ours and it's owed to us. But this flies in the face of reality we see throughout Scripture. For instance, Psalm 24, verse 1 says this, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. And when you read that verse, that doesn't breed entitlement. That does the opposite. You know, when King David, when he, they were built, building God's temple, receiving and giving gifts to build the temple, and in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 14, David says, Who am I and who are my people? That we could give anything to you, speaking to God. Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. You know, the, the answer to entitlement, again, it's not monastic living and giving everything up, because if you take a quick look at David's kingdom, and the kingdom his son would rule over, these were the wealthiest kingdom of that era, one of the wealthiest kingdoms we see in the Bible. Again, wealth isn't a sin. But failing to be generous with your blessings as a good steward can be. Again, wealth isn't a sin, but bad stewardship can be. But when you see sins of entitlement or sins of greed, these relate to how you use wealth, not how much of it you have. God doesn't say to his followers, hey, you shouldn't earn money, you shouldn't earn possessions. But again, he has a lot to say about how we use it and what we do with it. But he can do that. Because again, he's creator. Again, he's king. And when he comes back, he'll rightfully judge our stewardship. And he'll judge our stewardship based on our generosity. Again, when you look at Luke 12, that passage we read, we see that God generously honors our faithfulness and generosity and good stewardship. It says if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. A generous steward is the one God will entrust with more resources to be generous with. The parable highlights that twice by saying that he'll be put in charge of all. And it's from this truth that Paul could speak on generosity, the verse that many of us no doubt have heard. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, where he says, hey, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul could say that because he sees the generous God who blesses us for good stewardship. And Paul is saying, when you show yourself as a generous steward, God will entrust you with more. Because if God can't entrust you with a little bit to be a good steward over a little, he's not going to give you much. And we see from Paul's teaching, especially in this passage, that generosity, it's not an option, it's a calling. It's one of the pathways as we talk about the 12 pathways and disciplines at the church. And, and giving, it should be done freely, it should be done cheerfully, but it's, it's not an option. You know, Paul asks the church in Corinth, they had said they were going to give this gift and he's kind of encouraging them to follow through on that in his letter. And it was, it was for the other church. It was to bless the other church, but it was also for them to prove that they were the church. Because again, generosity, it's not an option. It's part of our calling as a church and as individuals. And the spiritual necessity, though, of giving, whether we're talking about money or our times or our talents, though, that flies in the face and rubs the, the materialistic world we live in the wrong way. But again, clearly, it wasn't Paul's goal for them to not, or it wasn't Paul's goal for them to attain an inner detachment from material things through giving every dime away or entering into some kind of monastic living. His goal was the recognition that God is the generous giver of all things. Again, the key to our generosity, it's not about not caring about the things we have to where we could just throw them away. Again, where Jesus says, don't worry about your possessions, he's not saying just don't give a thought to them. He's saying don't let them stress you out where it robs you of your faith. Again, the key to generosity, it's not about not caring about our blessings. It's about caring what God's purposes were in granting us those gifts. Stewardship demands that we care about what God's blessed us with and what he would have us do with it. And when we look at generosity in the Bible, we realize that everything in the earth is his. And we hold loosely to it because we serve a generous God. So we need to be ready to step into moments of generosity. You know, if our caring for our blessings supersedes our our care for people, then we're doing it wrong. Again, there's nothing wrong with having it. But God wants us to be more focused on the ministry we're called to, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry to people. You can do both, but we got to remember the God we serve. Philippians 2, didn't consider it his advantage to be equal with God, but hey, let go of that so he could serve us. Generous with his life, dying on a cross. That's the God we serve. It's the kind of generosity he walked in before he made us stewards. So again, generosity should flow from stewardship. A responsible steward of God's gifts should lead a radically generous life. Generosity and stewardship, again, they're two of the 12 pathways we preach and champion as a church. They're ways we step into the life that God has for us, the fulfillment he has for us to find. Yes, fulfillment even in giving away. You know, if I could have the worship team come up, I want to read a passage. It's from Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy. It's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. He says, command those who are rich. In this present age, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. 
I think it's the New Living Translation where it says that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Again, all the boundaries God gives us, all the things he encourages us to do, all of his commands and all of his blessings, they want to give us the life that is truly life, the fulfillment that we can only find in him. And we've talked about stewardship and generosity in terms of time and talents and treasure. And we're accountable for those things, again, because God is creator and king. But, you know, Jesus isn't just creator and king. He's also savior. We also... As the church, we steward the good news. We steward the gospel. We steward the hope that we have in Jesus. And we're called as stewards to be generous with it, to be generous in sharing it. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 2, Paul says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. In the message version, Eugene Peterson puts Paul's words like this. We're guides, not security guards. But, you know, I think sometimes I look at my life and my lack of being a generous steward of the gospel and the good news and the hope that Jesus has given me. And I realize my silence is a lot more like a sentry or a security guard than it is a guide. Somebody who's actually trying to invite people in to the hope that I have. You know, a faithful servant is marked by giving. A faithful steward is marked by generosity. We're stewards of the gospel. We should be generous in our sharing of it. We're called to guide people to Christ. You might say, well, they wouldn't come to, they would never step foot in church. Well, then go to them. Share the hope you have with them where they're at. The Great Commission, it talks about building the church, but it says go out and make disciples. It doesn't say invite them to church, but you know what? When you make disciples, they'll end up here anyways. (laughs) So let's go out and be generous with the good news we have. Because again, we'll all be held accountable. Jesus is creator and king. He makes us a steward over time, talents, and treasure. But he's also our savior. He's blessed us spiritually with salvation. We're also called to steward that, the good news and the hope that we have. So if we could all stand, we're gonna, I think we're gonna sing here waiting. But if you would say, you know what it says in this verse, that moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And again, in Luke 12, Jesus said, hey, be watchful. You know when Jesus is coming back. Could be tonight. Could be generations from now. But again, we will be held accountable for how we are stewards of what Jesus has blessed us with. And maybe you say, well, when God finds me tonight, because God can see where we're at tonight, our stewardship tonight, maybe you would say, I know there's room for more faithfulness. I know there's room for better stewardship, whether it's being a a better steward of my time, whether it's I need to be a better steward of my talents, or I need to be a better steward of my treasure. I need to be more generous and more giving in these things, or I need to be a more generous steward of the gospel that we have. I need to share it more generously, give the hope I have more generously. If that's you tonight, I would just ask that you raise your hand where you're standing. I'm going to raise my own hand. I need to be a better steward of my time. I need to be a better steward in many moments, more generous, holding less tightly to the things that sometimes I feel like I'm entitled to. This is my time. This is my talents. No, no, no. God gave me that ability. Not just to earn wealth, but to live and give him glory. So, look, God, for every hand raised tonight, 
God, I pray that we would be able to submit ourselves anew to you as our creator, God, to you as our king, and God, to you as our savior. God, all those three things mean very significant things. God, you created us with a purpose. You created us with talents, with a perspective that only we have, a life experience that only we have. Oh, God, and as king, you've also commissioned us. You've set us as stewards, God, to be generous with that time, talents, treasure, and the hope you've given us in Jesus Christ. Lord God, I pray that we would cherish those things, but we wouldn't cling to those things where we, we wouldn't be generous with them. We wouldn't share them. Lord God, I pray that we would all be found, whether it's tonight or 10 years from now or at the end of our life, to be faithful stewards, God, with the things you've given us, the time you've given us, the talents you've given us, the treasures you've given us, and again, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a world that needs us to be faithful stewards, generous stewards with the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would stir something up in all of us, Lord God. Convict us, recharge us, refocus us. And if we're going to be good stewards of the gospel, God, we're going to have to live generously, giving it and sharing it. God, the good news we have. God, we lift our eyes in this moment in worship and look to you. You're not just bigger than both, you're bigger than everything, God. Those areas where we need to grow or we're praying for somebody else to find you and grow, Lord God, we look to you in this moment. God, we are here waiting in worship, Lord God. We worship you tonight.